All right. Excuse me while I uh, put my clothing on. It's a little cold down here. Woo! All right. Haven't been down here all day, so my natural body heat hasn't heated the room enough. But now, now I will begin that process. Uh, how are we? Good evening. It's Sunday night. Uh, Sunday evening, so to speak, 8.30 p.m. Uh, Sam, I see your comment already about Sunday streams an hour earlier. That is the truth. Uh, they are an hour earlier. Um, just because uh, it's the weekend. And um, people are more around on the weekend. It's a school night, technically. Uh, although I do stuff late on Wednesdays. But that's usually because I'm at work all day normally. But things are different now. <laughs> I hope we're all safe and sound. I don't know what that means. Safe and, and sound. The and sound part is like structurally sound. Like I hope your body is still holding itself together. Anyway, that's that's all. Um, yeah, I hope you're all doing well. It's been a busy weekend uh, in Casa Scouch. Uh, a lot of tracking going on. We got four videos ready to film. Uh, so those will happen tomorrow and Tuesday. Uh, just the Poshin video came out today, but I believe on Tuesday, uh, we will have another video out and then we're going to finish up, I hope at least two or three before the weekend, uh, and get those out to you guys then. Um, but I've been kind of pushing the data thing more recently and trying to, uh, get a bigger backbone for that. I gave, uh, if you're a patron of the project, uh, I gave them access to a visualization tool, which maybe if you really want, I will preview. Uh, it is basically just my tracked data amalgamated into one giant spreadsheet. Well, not one giant spreadsheet, one sort of visualization tool that you can use. Uh, it is going to be a good time. I think it shows some interesting stuff. Uh, there's more and more getting added every day because the filter for the minimum is three games. Uh, everyone, try, I'm trying to get everyone up to seven. You can expect everyone at three now will get to seven. Uh, it's just like kind of crunch time, even though we don't know when the draft is. Just got to keep going with, with the data work. Uh, but yeah, it's looking good. Uh, some interesting things popping up. And been, been very busy since Wednesday, as you can see. Um, so yeah, we're going we're gonna to jump right into the questions and hopefully as I answer them, some more folks will uh, will pop in and, and and fire away, but let's let's get her going. Uh, okay, starting from the top. Oh look, Tyler Stevens is on time. That's phenomenal. Uh, Mathis Desjardins, always the keener. Welcome, sir. Uh, I read McKean stop sleepers and saw a name I hadn't seen before, Max Glotzel. Yeah, I've seen him play a couple of times. Uh, I think I saw him. There was an international tournament. I can't remember that I that I managed to catch him. Uh, I watched all of his DEL time this year, which there wasn't a ton, but he played. Um, I don't know. I th he didn't make the World Junior Team. A lot of people thought he might have. Um, I am kind of questionable on him. I'm not sure his mobility is quite there. Uh, there's not a whole lot that I find with him as a, a real needle mover, but I can't say I've seen a tremendous amount of him. I know there's a couple of people who have seen him in the in the DNL and everything, and now that he's playing in the DEL a little, uh, maybe that'll get some eyes on him. I I think that you know I think that his mobility is not really what I'm something I'm really looking for. I think maybe he's a guy that I take a look at if he's available next year. 
um, and, and let him play a full year in the DEL and see what happens. I just, I'm not, it's not a guy that I'm really jumping to, to pick up based on what I've seen, but I, I can't say I've seen like a tremendous amount of him play. Uh, what do you think? Do you think the Oilers have a steal with Raphael Lavoie? Well, Raphael Lavoie is like the Jack Quinn of this year's draft, right? Really old for the draft class. Um, you know, I, I think not the same level of goal scorer. Um, but I'm curious now. Let me just pull it up briefly. Uh, I'm going to check Raphael Lavoie's. I'll pull it up. Uh, Raphael Lavoie's uh, numbers from last year on the tracking dock here. Um, and I have gone back and changed the formulas accordingly. Uh because there was some differences in the data. So Lavoie versus Quinn. Let's call, let's pull him up here. Jackathy Quinn. So, oh, weird. Um, so 52 goals in 62 games. Yeah, that that's not really that comparable. Um, Jack Quinn has a higher involvement percentage. Uh, yeah, so it makes sense that Quinn is kind of viewed as a higher level pick. Uh, Lavoie was getting himself a little bit more secondary assists than, than, than Quinn as well. Uh, where's his goal percentage though? That's kind of what I am curious about. Where is it? Is this it? Yes. It's in this column here. Way at the end for some reason, cause I was not as smart last year as I was this year. Yeah. So Jack Quinn seems to be the better player, but like the, the age, the age is what the big difference is. Um, I think Lavois is a perfectly reasonable trigger man, good complimentary guy down the road. I don't think there's like a tremendously high level player in terms of two way play or anything, but you know, a guy you can give the puck to and can move well enough, especially for someone his size, uh, and push offense really well. I think that's a good thing for him. Um, I, I like Raphael Lavois. I thought he was a great pickup for the Oilers where they picked him. Um, but I, I think expecting anything tremendous out of him might be a little bit much, but I think that a good offensive complimentary scorer who can put the puck in the net here and there, I think is a good, is a good bet to make, uh, at that, at that range of the draft. Some, I, I think that that was a pretty solid pickup. I don't know about steel, but I mean, 30, this is why second round picks are so valuable now because you can pick up guys like Lavoie who just kind of slipped through the first round. Um, you know, was, was he a first round pick to me? I, th I thought they, I think I, I think I thought so. Uh, let me see. I think this is ordered in my rank, uh, order of ranking here. Uh, let's see. Yes. So I had Lavoie at 30, uh, just outside the, just at the end of the first round and, and to get him where they got him, I think was perfectly fine. Uh, and he has had a good year. His team is fantastic, uh, was fantastic. I, I, I like Lavoie, but I'm not sure like there's a huge, enormous ceiling with him. Um, Alex Smith, what are your thoughts on Swedes, Daniel Torgerson and Oscar Magnusson? I love Torgerson. I think Torgerson is a guy that will play in the NHL at some point. I don't think he'll be a tremendously high upside guy, but in terms of a, a good goal scorer, but like a power forward player, you know, he's really hard to knock off the puck. He's big. He can skate. Uh, he protects the puck really, really well. And in the SHL, I found him pretty rambunctious. He's a nice guy to have just parked in front of the net. Uh, I thought he was a pretty dangerous player when he was on the ice for for Frulunda. So I, I think that he's pretty undervalued. But, uh, you know, a second-round pick, I think, is kind of what I would think about using him, using on him. I, I don't see him as a, an elite-level player of any or of any kind, but, like, as a middle six, 
you know, winger guy that you can park in front of the net and, and be responsible in both ends of the ice, I think is perfectly reasonable uh, for Torgerson. And if he can take a couple of steps with his skating in a straight line kind of thing uh, to go with his puck protection, then maybe there's something more there. But uh, yeah, I, I like Torgerson, but it, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get out of him right now. And I think that, but it, it's a good, it's a good thing at what you're getting. It, it, what you're getting is a good thing out of him. And with Magnuson, I think Magnuson is a guy who has more upside. Like, he's he's a more fun, offensive, creative player. Um, let me just get rid of this. Who cares about my 2019 data? Um, Magnuson is more like all-out offense than, than Torgerson, who's more of a two-way guy. Uh, he, he really, really pushes offense. I, I haven't tracked anything of Magnuson, but I've seen him play a few times. He plays on a, a team with Helga Granz. Uh, you know, getting a lot of power play points, but that doesn't mean that his his even strength is is lagging too much. Like his even strength involvement is pretty good. Um, you know, as a mid round pick, I certainly can see it. I, I think that you know he's a bit small; he can get knocked off the puck a little bit too easily. Um, you know, he he he's he's a good speedy skilled guy, and I I would be curious to see if he can fill out his frame and get a bit better at both ends, uh, especially in his own end. But I think that, you know, as a raw offensive guy, he's not a bad pickup to make in the in the mid-rounds if he's available there. But I could see someone taking the risk on him and picking him earlier than that. Um, but but I think that I would probably think about it starting around the, the third round, I would say, depending on where I'm at and who's on the board, right? Uh, Ryan Frechette. Uh, hello, Ryan. All is Hope all is good. It is, so far, yeah. So I'll, I got to go to a different city today briefly, which was kind of fun, um, leaving town, which was... A, a fun field trip uh have you seen pavel gogolev play yeah here and there uh over the years i have i mean the, the quest the thing with him was always his shot was like that was the thing that really separated him he's a great shooter uh not extremely aggressive with his shooting doesn't really barge into the offensive zone a tremendous amount but you know great shooter though and and a, and a good playmaker as well with good skill um with guys like him though the problem all, a lot of the time is skating like Igor Sokolov I think will get a pick Gog Gogolev I think has proved that he kind of deserves a pick Maxim Golod and, and Erie all these guys are really really talented players that I think have earned themselves a look at least on an AHL deal if they go undrafted um but I think that what's holding them back I think is their skating and and the fact that Someone like a Gogolev, you know, can enter the offensive zone, pull up between the face-off dots or, or back behind that and kind of, you know, wind up that wrist shot and get a shot off from there against junior defenses. And I don't think you get away with that nearly as much in the pro leagues. Um, so that kind of thing kind of is questionable to me. You know, you can have the best shot in the world, but if it takes you a little bit too long to get it off the ice, then then that might get mitigated at least a little bit. I, I don't mind him as a player. He's one of the. He's been consistently one of the better uh, NHLE players that have been undrafted in the last few years, and his numbers are certainly good enough to warrant at least a look. Um, but I would not be surprised to see teams continue to pass on this guy and say, "All right, if he's undrafted, we'll bring him to camp and see what he can do." Um, and worst case scenario, he'll find a job somewhere because he certainly got the talent to play. Uh, but I think he's he's a good player. Uh, just not sure that it's quite like I'm going to use a draft pick on this guy because of how far he's grown. Like, he's gotten better, but not leaps and bounds, dynamic two-way kind of play. But in terms of an offensive guy that you can just park and and expect offense out of, maybe there's a potential error for him, but, but not going to, you know, jump at the chance to, to pick him up. At least I don't think in the NHL, and I don't think I would either. 
Uh, I know we're still far away, but who's your? what's your biggest draft hot take? Mine is that Rodion Amirov goes surprisingly high. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think Rodion Amirov is a risk to be drafted extremely high. I think teams that really do their homework and aren't scared of Russians will think about it very strongly. Uh, Amirov is a guy who I think is really underrated. Everyone seems to have completely forgot that he existed. Um, you know, I really like Rodion Amirov. He's ranked, I think, 11th uh, in my... No, maybe 12th? Let's see. Yeah, so I have him 12th. And and I I think my top 12 now is pretty rock solid based on what I've, the more and more I see. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting group of players, but... I think that Rodion Amirov is a is a pretty solid bet to be a really smart offensive player, uh, especially if you let him develop for a bit in Russia. Um, and people seem to have completely forgot about him. But my draft hot take, uh, you know, I I bet I, I I might be deluding myself a little, but I bet someone takes a chance on Marat Kuznadinov. I really do. Uh, I've heard from some people that some teams have him as high as the high teens which is around where i have him and you know if there's a team that's picking say 20th and it's marat kuznetinov off the board people might be surprised you know fans might go who the heck is this guy because he's mostly ranked in like the mid to late first mid to late second round if i'm not mistaken but with his youth and how good he was down the stretch um you know his average rank is 42 on my on my count and so if he's a mid-round, mid-second-round pick that jumps to the first round, you know, we might be looking at a situation where people were looking at, say, Simon Holmstrom last year and going, well, who would take Simon Holmstrom in the first round? Now, I don't know if I would have taken Simon Holmstrom in the first round, but I would take Marat Kustin-Dinov in the first round. And I don't, I, it's, I just, I don't know. It's just a gut feeling plus what I've seen of him, plus what I've tracked of him, and I'm a big fan of him. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think that that would probably be a pretty interesting development for it to happen on draft day. I mean, everyone's expecting Jake Sanderson to be top 10. Everyone's expecting Jack Quinn to be top 15. You know, I all of a sudden I'm seeing Kane and Gooley in the 10 to 20 range, which, all right, by all means, go nuts. Um, I mean, everyone seems to love Braden Schneider, so him going... I mean, we might see a top 10 with five defensemen in it, for all we know at this rate. Thing, people might lose their mind so much to the point that the top 10 turns into all these defensemen because teams just want a defenseman. I don't know if that's going to happen, but crazier things that the draft have happened just because players are a certain position. I don't know. Um, but I'm happy to let that happen and then let the chips fall where they may if I'm not one of those teams. Um, what do you think about Kaylee Yamamoto? A steal. Always love Kaylee Yamamoto, and I'm glad he's finally figuring it out. I thought that he was having a great year in Edmonton. Um, he needed time to develop. Everyone kind of knew that was going to be the case. Um, but you know, he's, he's come along, been through the, been through some stuff, been through the grinder a little, but he's, he seems to be figuring it out and I'm really thrilled about it. I really like Kelly Yamamoto, just such a smart, rambunctious playmaker who's dangerous all the time. And, and I just, a guy that I really, really like, uh, and overcoming the odds guys who just overcome the odds of being those five foot seven, five foot eight guys who figure it out. I, I think is always really promising and, and a lot of fun. So yeah, big fan of him. Uh, Tony Ferrari. Who's this? Who's this guy? Uh, hope all is well. I did enjoy the show with you as well. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, watch the most recent O show with Tate Harris. Uh, really good dude. Really good show. Really insightful to do it with Tony. 
Uh, we had a great time the other day, uh, just talking, just talking shop. Uh, not, not the discussion of like, this guy's good and this guy's not good, but it was more about like philosophy and, and how not, not philosophy, philosophy, but more about scouting philosophy, how we may differ. Cause nobody perfectly agrees on everything. Uh, and, and how Tony and I kind of work off of each other to sort of, you know, move things forward, uh, in, in the world that we're in. I think, uh, we both showed up with pretty good ammunition, um, and it was a good time. The, the two guys hosting it, Cody and Tate, are great. Uh, and uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out on, on, on Tate's YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, if you have seen it, I'm happy to take any questions that you had from it. Uh, and I'm sure Tony will as well. And so if he's still here, he may respond if he feels like it. But he's a notorious jerk. I'm just kidding. He's not. Uh, but anyway, good to, good to be on the show with that guy and, and, all, and all, all of the people involved. It was a lot of fun. Um... And Tony spoils the next video. Yeah, so the one after Poshin will be Tim Stutzla. Uh, patrons have it. Um, and I'm glad that you enjoyed them, Tony. I'm a really big believer in Alexander Poshin. The video came out today. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. I'm a huge believer in him. He's in my first round, and I don't see him leaving because I believe in his upside. I think if you let him stew in, in Russia for a few years, you know, let him work his way into the KHL, maybe not this year. He might be a VHL guy next year, but he would be one of the youngest players in that league probably next year. Uh, I don't think he turns 18 until July. And, you know, I brought it up in the video. If he were five foot nine, he'd be a first round pick, I think. And he's not. He's five foot seven. And I don't know. I'll let people judge him as they will, but I'm pretty sure that his skill and his speed uh, and, and his overall offensive ability will take him a long way. I'm a big fan of him. Um... Thoughts on one of the league's plans to add three rounds in the draft? I've not heard about that. I will need a link to that, my friend, Remy. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, and I don't think they can because the CBA enshrines the draft as it is. So unless there's, like, some sort of emergency amendment, I don't see how that works. And that's the thing. I don't know. It would be up to the NHLPA as well, but I don't know why teams would want to do that or what the need to do that is. Um, but if you want to add three rounds to the draft, okay, uh, you know, maybe there's like a compensatory pick thing for the conditional picks that go either way. I don't know. Um, but I don't know about adding three rounds to the end of the draft. But if you have a, a link or something, send it and I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, Mathis, what's up? Mitch Miller made the all USHL first team and he's in your second round, but you said he was likely to rise up. Uh, how high do you think he could go? He might be a guy that, that sneaks his way up you know, because he's a defenseman. If you have a situation where 10, defen 10 defensemen are gone in the first 20 picks, then, you know, Mitch Miller might be a guy that jumps into the late first round. I don't think I would go that high on him. Um, but but I'm a fan. Like, the more I've seen of him, you know, he's a really good two-way player. Uh, good in his own end, good in the offensive end, really explosive on his feet. Uh, his data is pretty darn good as well. So, you know, all signs point to something really promising with him, uh, especially considering the team that he's playing on this year. Tri-City is not quite the same team as they were a year ago. Uh, but but, but I, I, I like Mitch Miller. He's in my second round. I need to see more of him. Uh, I need to circle back on a guy like Colby Ambrosio as well. So, you know, but, but Mitch Miller to me, you know, is a tremendously good skating defenseman who's really solid at both ends. And I... I I just have a good feeling about the kid, uh, and and he's you know he's been impressive. I don't know about say a first round pick, but you know anywhere in the second round really, if you 
depending on the type of defenseman your team likes, then it might be a good a good pickup. Uh, Jasper Johansson, Jasper, Jasper Johansson. What do you think the NHL should do for CHL players who aren't NHL ready but are too good for the CHL? Well, that's funny you mention it. We were talking about uh, that on that podcast with Tate and Tony and, and Cody. So my understanding was that the main problem for junior teams is money. They don't want to lose out on ticket sales, merchandise sales, whatever, uh, the PR. They don't want they don't want any of that uh, being uh, thrown out the window just because an NHL team puts one of their guys in the AHL. They don't want that. Um, so to me, if you, you know, money talks and NHL teams have a lot more money usually than junior teams. And if you can compensate them for what they believe is fair to poach the player away to send them to the AHL, um, and each team had a, a specific allocated number of under 20 AHL slots or, or pro slots, I would call them, I guess, you know, let's call it three where you can have three players that you pluck you know, across all of junior hockey in North America, you could have, let's say there's 30 NHL teams, about 100 players not playing in, in junior hockey. Uh, I don't know if, and I doubt all teams would use all of those slots. If you're a contending team, you're probably not drafting players who are going to be uh, AHL ready after just a season. So, and the play, you know, someone like a Jack Quinn will play one more year in junior and then he'll be AHL any, eligible anyway. So, I think it wouldn't hurt long term. I don't. I think it would give younger junior players a bigger chance, a bigger role on their team. It would make that league, those leagues, a little bit more exciting in terms of, you know, yeah, you lose some really high quality talent, but guys who might be a third line player and very effective in that role get more ice time. Maybe they develop a little bit better with more reps. I don't know. I think long term things would work out just fine because that's how that usually works. People get scared and then you make the change and then it sucks for a little bit maybe and then you kind of go, well, I guess it's not so bad and NHL teams get to, you know, develop guys more under their control because at the end of the day, the goal is to turn these guys into pro NHLers and the fact that a cert- if, you're a, if you're born in a certain location, you know, it's kind of weird that if you're born in a certain location, you can do certain things but if you're born in, in Canada and drafted by a, say, Canadian team or something you're forced to play in a specific place, you know, while you're a junior before, you know, and if the team thinks you're good enough to play pro, but not in the NHL too bad, you have to go back to junior and score a gazillion points and do it with the hands tied behind your back. I don't know. I think there's a way out. I hope it's part of the next sort of agreement they put together because I think even the NHL knows that there's a lot of guys who I think go back to junior and don't really need to and end up punching below their weight class. And you probably don't want that. And I'd much rather like the angle that I took as well is that it would be really good to send your kids like 19 year olds who are good enough to play in say the East coast league to go and have a life with guys who have been grinding things out for eight years, you know, like send them back to square one for a minute and go look at how this life is for most people. Like you might not be this person and at least not for the next 10, 15 years, let's say. These are the people that really love this sport and really know what it takes to stick around and really know what it takes to grind their way through this lifestyle. Because if you're not in the NHL, at you know, in North America, if you're in the AHL, what, you're lucky if you make a hundred grand? And that's a de- that's a good living, but compared to the NHL, it's nothing. You know? So it would be an interesting experiment to take, say, a 19-year-old kid or two of them 
and say, look, we're going to put you in the East Coast League for the year because you're too good for junior, but we want you grinding it out just like everyone else. We want you playing pro, learning these lessons from these guys, these veteran dudes who have been around the block because sending you back to play with all your buddies in junior for another year when you're 19 years old, I don't think will really push the needle. Obviously, you can't do that with everyone, but certain cases I think it would work. Uh, or at least be an interesting experience for someone that young to to have that that season under their belt, and then you go from there. Um, but yeah, I think I think some stuff needs to be tweaked around uh, for that for that for sure. Uh, what makes players like Gundler so inconsistent? Assuming it's not for lack of effort, uh, uh, or could be a part of their IQ or their fitness that won't allow them to have a steady or dependable play style. I think it's a it's a hard thing to explain, and it. It's it's a hard thing to explain. I don't think it's the inconsistency that I saw with Gundler was, you know, it it felt like you know, some of the time he would it's been a while since I watched one of his games, so forgive me, but but it felt as though some of the time he would make much poorer decisions with the puck than others. Um, you know, sometimes he would take the foot off the gas for shifts and just not really do much. Like, I track, for example, zone transitions where the player is directly involved. And there were some games where there were quite a few of them going either direction for him. And there was also quite a few games that were where he was all over the place, doing all, all kinds of stuff. And the inconsistency really lied in what you're getting out of him. Like, it was hard for me to read what type of a player he was. Is he a physical power forward? Is he a, is he a two-way dependable guy with offensive upside? Um, you know, he could take the puck. Like I said it in the video, I think I saw, I saw him take the puck end to end. No problem. Like multiple times down the wing with a ton of speed. But then a lot of the time he would just not do that and would be much more happy just putting the puck off the glass into the neutral neutral zone or just circling the puck back into the defensive zone and giving it to a defender, a defender when there was, you know, it was a wide open ice rink. You know, he could have, he could have at least made an attempt to attack the ice a little, um, so it's kind of a question of like, what are you getting out of him? What do you know he is? Uh, and I, I think though that what I tried to encapsulate was like, when he's good, he's really good. Like when he's good, he's a top 15 player in this draft, in my opinion, no questions asked at the very worst top 15. So I'm willing to bet on a player when they're at their best rather than I'm going to nitpick their, their faults and say, well, if they do this forever, then they're never going to work. Well, of course, like they're kids, like it's, it's fine. Um, so I, I don't really think too much about that, but the inconsistency is a problem because it's, it's saying, you know, when you play, put him on the ice, you don't know what he's going to do. Sometimes I think it's a little bit overblown how inconsistent he is, but I certainly believe that what you, what you should believe is what you see at their best and what they're capable of. And he's capable of pretty wonderful stuff. So I think he is going to get drafted later than he should. Um, I think teams are going to find reasons not to pick him. I don't, if he falls out of the first round, then all right, uh, by all means. But uh, I, I think he's a good player. Uh, it's just, yeah, in terms of it, I think it's like a mental preparedness thing where shift by shift, sometimes it wouldn't be the same player. Uh, not a ton of, not a ton of involvement in the play, I would say, is a little bit of a thing that you saw from him. Someone like Lucas Raymond is constantly hounding players for the puck, constantly all over the ice, buzzing around, trying to push play positively. Um, and, and with Gundler, that was the case a lot of the time, but some of the time I'd be doing shifts of his and go, he's not doing too much. Like he's just kind of hanging out, waiting for kind of pucks to come to him 
but when he's on he's really on and he's perfectly willing to engage along the boards and get you know get his hands dirty and all that stuff so that's good but just kind of a little all over the place and i think that makes coaches and managers skittish is this crooked is this crooked or my house crooked <laughs> i'm just kidding my house isn't crooked there we go that's a bit better uh nick Sabella, more likely to fall to number 10 or lower in this draft holtz or perfetti Probably of those two, Holtz. Because Perfetti, I think, has more to his offensive game right now than Holtz. But, and I think Holtz, you know, if people if people are really concerned with how a player plays in their own end, then Alexander Holtz should be a guy who might drop in this draft. I don't think he'll drop far. But seeing him ranked ahead of Lucas Raymond on central scouting rankings and seeing people putting him at four or fifth overall in this draft... It's like, I think you're kind of, you know, you're you're staring directly at a tree in the middle of a forest and going, look at how beautiful this tree is, whereas, like, a lot of the forest is kind of on fire. And you're like, okay, like, he can shoot the puck extremely well, he's fast, he's aggressive, you know, he doesn't float around, that's great. But there's a lot that, that needs work. And with Perfetti, he's right in everyone's backyard, he had that fantastic Holinka, and as much as we like to rag on international tournaments, that factors in. Um, you know, Holtz went to the World Juniors and was good, for sure, but I think with Perfetti, t- teams are looking at that and going, look at this good Ontario, you know, good, 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 he's not from Ontario, but look at this good kid playing in Ontario, you know, looks like John Tavares, kind of plays like John Tavares, let's draft him. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of something that might for like prevent him from falling too far. Uh, and I think teams will look at his skating, and I know some people are saying his skating isn't great. I'm not one of those people. It's a little awkward looking and a little weird uh, at times, but he moves around just fine, and the other areas of the game that involve moving around the ice that aren't raw speed and, and agility, he's pretty darn good at and can protect the puck really, really well, and I think teams are going to... are, are they're val- I think teams are looking at that as valuable these days because the game is fast and the game can get heavy and if you can get guys who can counter both of those things at once like a guy like Perfetti might be able to then that's a pretty decent then that's a pretty decent pickup uh NHL Draft Central oh Andy Lehu Andy Lehu newest video uh on his channel about Josh Lawrence go check it out good 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 channel good video I like Josh Lawrence a lot uh hey Will would love to know who your best defensive forward eligible for the upcoming draft is the easy answer to that is Lundell. I think he's the smartest defensive player. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in terms of pure defense, I really have grown to like Jake Sanderson in terms of the defensive part of the game. Uh, and to me, like defense is... like My opinion of what defense is, is guys who prevent defensive control. So, you know, the best defensemen in the world to me never play in the defensive zone. That's kind of the goal. So with Jake Sanderson, he plays so well in transition. Caden Gooley does too, but the WHL, I don't know. It feels like Jake Sanderson kind of does more in transition than Caden Gooley does. Um, In terms of pure defense, in terms of pure defense with transition play and everything, I really like how Jake Sanderson approaches it. Really calm, keeps a nice simple gap between him and the guy in front of him, uses his stick first, the body comes like third he just tries to sort of use his stick and his and his feet to sort of control where the other player is relative to him and and make sure that he picks his spots right 
Um, Ghoulie kind of can do the same thing in a way, but he's a lot more aggressive about it. Like, there's an aggression to Caden Ghoulie that I think could get him in a lot of trouble uh, down the road. Uh, his defensive catalyst percentage was like negative 25%, which is not great by the end of the year. Um, but Lundell, I think, is the more refined like forward who's great defensively. Beyond that, I mean, Tim Stutzla is underrated, I think, in transition coming against him. Um, and I think Marco Rossi defensively is really underrated. I think he's a, a great defensive player as well as an offensive player. So if you're looking for defensemen and I had to pick the best one defensively that I like is probably Jake Sanderson. And he's gotten way better over the course of the season. Whereas up front, I'd probably go with Lindell. But, but the other answers I'd probably give would be Rossi underrated. And, you know, trying to think here. Like, that's probably the two that I would go with up front. And then on the back end, probably Jake Sanderson. And, uh, you know, it's hard to find guys who are well-refined defensively, especially in in transition as well. Uh, And I know I brought up Caden Gooley, but he does the same kind of thing where his numbers on paper are great. uh, But the, the aggression behind it and the way that he does it, I think... Uh, can maybe cause problems if he's not in the right system. Luckily, right now, he seems to be, but the results still are not great. Uh, Oh, you specifically said forward. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) I'd say Lundell, and then probably, right now, Marco Rossi, based on what I've seen uh, so far. And beyond that, I don't don't think there's a tremendous amount of guys. Tim Stutzel, I think, is underrated, but stuck in his own end might be a bit of an issue, but great in transition as well. Um... Jordan L, Mr. Pharmacist, the hero of the chat. Hello. How are you? Uh, seen Mitchell Miller willing hardware in the USHL. Was there a reason he wasn't with the NTDP and what are your thoughts on his future? I kind of went over him a little bit already. Uh, I don't know why he wasn't on the NTDP. When you look at the defensemen that the USA hockey team seems to like to put on all of their teams, they like those guys like Brock Faber, Tyler Clevin, um, you know, even Eamon Powell. You know, these more conservative defensive defensemen, Jake Sanderson is another one, uh, and then they kind of let their forwards do a lot of the heavy lifting up front. Whereas Mitchell Miller is good in his own end too, um, but he has this like explosivity around him. It's like, it feels like USA Hockey looks at defensemen who are extremely fast, who can be very, very fast and sees that as like a detriment of some kind. Um, mobility, for sure, they, they kind of want to see, right? There's a difference between speed and mobility. Uh, guys like Jake Sanderson, not the fastest guy on the ice, but he's mobile. He can move around the ice well. He's got good skill with his hands. Um, Brock Faber and Tyler Clevin are the kind of more bruiser side, but they're not terrible at it. I don't mind those players. Um, just not super high in the draft. Mitchell Miller, I don't know. I, I don't have any information as to why he didn't make the team, but it, he, he, judging by what I've seen of him, I feel like he might look a little weird on that team. They seem to be a much more structured uh puck control team that that relies on you know defensemen breaking passes to forwards and that's kind of it and I don't really see a tremendous amount of that out of Miller working with that group of players for the NTDP I don't know I'm trying to stretch myself to give you an answer but I I like him I think Tri-City is a perfectly reasonable organization it might have been that he just wanted reps and they're playing him a lot more than they probably would with the development team you know What's right for one player might not be the same for everyone else. So I don't know. You might have to ask him. And if if he was here, I I would ask. But uh, I like him a lot. And I think, you know, he might not be the best option for the NTDP based on how they play now. 
but I, I thought he looked really good whenever I've seen him play. Uh, did you see Scott Wheeler's article today when, when he discussed LaPierre's injuries being spinal instead of a concussion? Think this will positively affect his draft rank? It t- <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it, uh, it's still not a risk I would want to take. Um, I think he's an extremely talented player. And, and I, I think that his results this year, he had a great Holenka, but his results this year were not great. Uh, when he did play, you know, maybe there were nagging injuries. Maybe whoever takes him in the top 10 looks like a genius in a few years. I, I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm not going to say that there are shenanigans going on, but you know, he's willing to let Scott Wheeler come into his life and ask him all these really, you know, intrusive things about his, his history and his injuries and all of these things. I don't know if, if, if everything he's saying is what he wants teams to hear, uh, or, or not. They kept this very quiet. If this was going to be a situation where don't worry about it, it's just a neck injury, a spinal injury. So it's fixable. In my opinion, they, you would know, uh, whereas for a while it was like a, we don't know what's going on kind of situation. And that kind of spooks me for so long. They were like, I don't know what's happening. And he missed a lot of hockey. I think he'll figure it out. And I certainly, I have him ranked 30th. I certainly could be convinced if I had medical professionals who had checked him out. I I could be convinced to take him, I would say, in the 10, in the teens somewhere. That's, I think, where his talent sort of leaves him in the early to mid-teens. If he was healthy, maybe top 10. But, but I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not involved in that situation. There's, I think, some PR trying to happen here. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that a team's going to take him. He's going to get drafted. I, I, I think either the team's going to look brilliant or they're going to take a swing and miss, you know? And, and I hope that that swing and miss situation isn't someone picking him 11th or 12th overall thinking they have this steal. And then he ends up concussed next year. I'm pretty sure he still had two concussions and a spinal injury and two concussions in a year, at least one when they're that serious is is rough so i don't know uh it's a situation where you definitely have to do your homework like with a guy like morgan riley where it was a knee surgery whatever a knee surgery is done it's just your knee good good to have it done alex galchenyuk same thing you don't really have to think about it so much you know hendrix lapierre stuff that's up here that's a little different and and i would need to do my homework for sure but I don't see it really hurting his draft ranking, but maybe that's the point. Uh, maybe that's part of the point. Uh, if you were to go back to the 2015 draft and the top 12 stayed the same, <laughs> who would you pick with Boston's three straight picks knowing what we know now? Well, um, <laughs> uh, 2015 NHL draft. Yeah, so my answer, I didn't have this operating at that point. So uh, keep that in mind. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to not be as revisionist as I could. Barzal and Connor were certainly in that discussion. I would have easily been going with Barzal, Connor. And at the time, I did really like Brock Besser. I really liked Travis Konechny. Uh, I like Jack Roslovic as well. Beauvillier would have been another one on my list. He would have looked really good with the data. Um, Sebastian Ajo would have looked really good with the data. But again, like... Hard to say because at the time I wouldn't have had nearly as much ability to watch in Finland. 
Daniel Sprong would have been a guy I really, really liked that year, but maybe not not as much not as much as a Brock Besser though, for sure. Especially even a Konechny as well. Um, so if I were a betting man, it would probably have been Barzal, Connor. Uh, I remember liking Evgeny Svechnikov as well, um, but not as much as a Brock Besser. And again, I'm trying to be as as open as I can about maybe not, you know, getting getting exactly who I thought I would have said. Like if if I was thinking, oh, maybe I should take two players and a defenseman, Jakob Larson might have been the guy that I thought about. But looking at that group, I I would really really have pushed for Travis Konechny or Brock Besser over Jakob Larson. Thomas Shabbat at the time to me seemed like a We'll see kind of defensive prospect, good overall numbers. Certainly didn't think he was going to be what he became. Um, but definitely Connor Barzal and probably one of Bob Besser or Konechny. That would have probably been my my three that I would have pushed for. Uh, do you think that any of these players are high are, are high, or should be considered high-ceiling, low-four players? Uh, Gundler, Wallander, Gushchin, and Yarventy. I think Wallander is the one that I would note as high floor, low ceiling. He could be nothing at all, or he could be unbelievably spectacular. Uh, I think that he's got all the potential in the world. Um, Gundler, he could turn out to be nothing, I think. if I, I don't think he will, but it's possible. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I lean more positively than most people on him. I have him ranked 11th for a reason right now, and I don't think he's moving anywhere. Um, Wallander, yeah, for sure. Gustin, I think will get there. I think Gustin is one of those smaller guys who can make it work. I really like him. His, and it's not just because of the offense. Uh, he's pretty good at both ends of the ice. You know, can float a little bit defensively as well. Wait for breakouts to come to him. But he's not terrible in transition, and he's not terrible in his own end. He's a sneaky little guy, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of Danny Gustin for sure. Uh, and Robbie Yarventy, I think, I think eventually will make it. But you'll need to be patient. Um, you know, he'll he'll need to work on some stuff. But I, I think that you know, as maybe a third line guy on your second power play unit that can score 40 points. And, you know, have a 20-goal, 20-assist season here and there. Just popping pucks in once in a while, early second-round pick. Maybe that's a decent pickup for you. Uh, I, I don't expect tremendous things out of Robbie Yarventy, but he certainly has the talent uh, to do good things. And I, I don't really think that there's a, a huge chance of him being a terrible pickup. Um, but I think that there's a pretty good chance of him being solid with a bit of a higher chance of him being, you know, maybe a second-line guy that's a, a trigger option on the first power play unit that, that could really do a bit of damage on the power play. Um, Ronald Sabin, Saban. Do you make, do you make power Rangers? Anyway, uh, when tracking defensemen shots, do you monitor whether they shoot from the middle directly towards the goalie or shoot it from the edges of the ice? Uh, yeah. So the way that it works, um, I think I went over this briefly last year. So uh, I'm looking at, you know, where shot location is coming from, whether it's defensemen or forwards. So I don't I don't really think that defensemen, whether they shoot it from a corner or like at the, at the middle of the blue line, I don't think the danger of that shot really fluctuates a tremendous amount. I'd need to look at the, at the research and the evidence behind that, but I don't, I don't see how that would have a massive impact. The difference in distance isn't huge but the side the opening of the net might be different depends there's a whole bunch of things that that could factor in and ideally i guess if you're playing odds you want goal you want your defenseman shooting 
you know, directly in front of the goaltender uh, rather than off to the side because that that shrinks the net relative to the viewpoint of the defender. So you want to be faced straight at the at the goalie, but I don't really think it makes that much of a difference. But I still treat it as if they're forwards. So if they're pushing in between, you know, into the faceoff circle areas in between the faceoff dots, then that's more of a dangerous shot attempt that you'll see uh, some more aggressive defensemen maybe step in a few steps and take, like a William Wallander will do that a lot. Uh, Jake Sanderson will do that quite a lot. And that's kind of what you're looking for in more of the aggressive sense for me. Um, you don't really expect defensemen to get a tremendous amount of high danger opportunities. Uh, and I figure, and I feel like it would make things way more complicated than it should be by saying, well, for defensemen, high danger also includes right at the goalie from way out because I don't think that that really matters. You know, I, I don't really put a whole lot of value into shooting at five on five as a whole, but I do put a lot, I, and I don't put a lot of value into shooting for defensemen either. Like I'm doing two defensive videos this year, this week, um, which are the two first I've done this year, which took way too long, but whatever. Uh, and, and the shoot category parts for those videos will be pretty short because there's only so much you can say about how a defenseman shoots the puck and you don't see a ton of defensemen that are scoring a tremendous amount of goals, at least not at five on five. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation. I see what you're kind of getting at. Um, but I tend to prefer to look at dangerous chances and dangerous opportunities to make all the data work together, pretty much universal and, and treat it the same. Um, Tony Ferrari, what's up? Who is one of the players who doesn't get enough credit for their defensive efficiency? (laughs) Let me pull up my data. I can only speak to the ones that I've tracked. Um, Tim Stutzla is one of them, I think, uh, at least in transition for sure. Uh, who else is on here? Dylan Holloway, I think, is another one who doesn't get enough. I, I think Dylan Holloway is a really interesting case for a defensive player. I think he could be a really good two-way player, but defense his defense already is pretty decent, I, I would say, at least in transition. In his own end, he can get a little weird, but in transition, he's surprisingly good. Uh, who else is on here? Uh, Helga Granz is another one. Uh, Alexander Nikishin, considering he's playing in the KHL, actually puts up some pretty good numbers as well. Uh, he's one of those bigger physical guys where if he's available in the fourth or fifth round, maybe I just take him if I don't have a defenseman that's like that. I, I think there's a really low low ceiling, but a, but a decent floor with him. His hands are decent. He can skate around the ice okay, like good enough. Uh, and, and, he, and he plays at a really high level and has some good good metrics behind him as well. So I like him in a, in a certain way. Uh, nothing too fancy, but, but he's pretty effective in that area. Um, who else is on here? I mean, that pretty much sums those up. Quinton Byfield is pretty good in transition as well, but definitely the one that sticks out to me are guys like Stutzla and, and, and Holloway. Uh, how would you compare the USHL to the super elite and the junior A from to a, okay. Um, the USHL depends on the year. I'm not a huge fan of its hockey this year. I'm not a huge fan of the WHL's hockey this year that much. Uh, yeah, Super Elite is fine. It's a good junior league. I, I think it's a pretty soft league relatively. Um, you know, it's pretty quick, but not extremely so. Uh, the jun- this Finnish junior league I really like. I, I like watching it a lot. It's fast. Um, you know, the players are aggressive. The defensemen are aggressive. They, they play really aggressively. And, and I like that a lot. Uh, they, they play fast and they play hard. Um, 
and I think it's an underrated league. I think all of those leagues are pretty underrated relative to the CHL. Um, I think the CHL is just a different brand of hockey. There's a lot more physical play. I think the ice being smaller does make a difference in terms of decision-making and how physical the game gets. Um, you know, in the, the European leagues, there's a lot more passing lane cut cutoffs. So players will maybe not skate full on into a guy trying to, you know, kick the crap out of them, but they'll keep their stick in an area where they think the puck might go uh, and, and do it that way. So guys complete a lot of passes at that level, usually, at least you'd hope. Um, and I think the CHL gets more of that um, aggressiveness to it that that is more like the NHL, so I can see why people would say it's a better league. Um, but in terms of the speed and the skill and the quality of play, I, I really like the Finnish league. I think the Swedish league, the best teams play really, really well. Um, but I, 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 and the USHL, it depends on the year to me. I think it's okay, but nothing like spectacular. I would, I would say, I, I think that getting to the CHL level is still a bit of a work in progress. And it's really hard to judge European leagues directly from my experience to North American ones. The ice does make a big difference. Um, I, I think I just opening up that much more ice in terms of width and is, is a lot. It can be a lot. And, uh, you know, the game kind of slows down a little bit, but the players have more options to do things. So quicker decisions in the CHL, I think, are just a large part of the nature of, you know, how hard they play, um, you know, how, how aggressive the players are, and how small the ice is relative to Europe. So it's a bit of a different style of play, but so it's hard to judge them directly on caliber. But again, there are lots of players in Europe that I think could be playing North American hockey and, and be just fine. What do you think of Alex Gordon? Um, great shot on him. I'm not sure there's much else, really. Uh, he's he's a good player, might get himself picked, but I didn't really see a player that I would have really clamored over to draft as an overager out of this league. Um, you know, pretty much a, a one-trick pony. Decent mobility, but he can really shoot it. Not great defensively, um, and that's troublesome. Had a lot of points on the power play as well. So... Just not a guy that I find found as a real needle mover when I watched Russians Russian play Russians play this year so far. Maybe that can change. Uh, thoughts on Ronan Seely and Valentin Demchenko? I've seen Seely play, haven't seen Demchenko. I don't think, uh, at least not really paid attention. Um, let me double check if we're talking about the same person here. Uh, yeah, so he plays with Baikomo. I have not seen Baikomo play, um, so forgive me on that. Demchenko went to the World Juniors for you know, for Belarus and didn't blow the doors off the tournament. So I don't know what that really shows you, but that's a tournament where I hope the draft eligible players go like Timo Nickel went to that tournament and did really well. Um, so, yeah. and Belarus was a good team. Uh, Seeley, I like, I think he's a good defensive player as well. Really good mobility on his feet as well. Uh, I, I think he's a good, you know, sort of underrated player. Uh, I have him ranked in the third round, I think. Uh, yeah. So just outside the third round, I think he's perfectly reasonable to be a, a decent pickup for a team somewhere. Um, you know, good puck mover, really good mobility. Just, again, not sure of his ceiling. I, I don't know how far it could take him, but he's a decent player. Uh, thoughts on Zion Nybeck? Small. Um, I think he's quicker than people think, but not the fastest guy in the world. Really skilled, resilient. Uh, I have him ranked 31st, I think. Um, like I like him, but I don't, I don't, I can see how people might not put him super high in the draft. 
Um, I, I think he's more of an offensive guy. He's going to need to make some work defensively, really focuses on offense, which you can get away with. But again, I, I as a playmaker type player, uh, let me just pull him up here. Nye Beck. There he is. Okay. Uh, so I need to track more of him. I'll say that. Um, but he drives offensive transitions really, really well and moves the puck with efficiency, which is good. Um, you know, he's a good sort of quarterback on the ice, on the wing, and I don't know how far that'll take him. Uh, his team is a quite an interesting case. Like, keep in mind, this is only two full games of tracking, so this will be highly subject to change. But after two games against good teams, his team is driving 58% of the shot attempts, which is great with him on the ice. But if you remove medium and high danger, or medium and low danger, it's 30%. So something's not going right with HV71 when push comes to shove. And when you remove even just low danger data, low danger data it's 48%. So it drops by 10%. And that's, that's a problem. Um, and wingers, again, responsibilities are a little bit less. But you still got responsibilities. And uh, I think he's a guy that would be nice, a nice pickup in the second round. Um, but when I look at him compared to guys like Alex Poshin, who is a similar size, kind of a similar profile... I look at Poshin's determination. I look at Poshin's, you know, foot speed, his explosivity, his agility, you know, the skill. And I go, you know what? It's like Nybeck, but like a step up. It's just that Poshin, you know, needed, you know, didn't get the ice to get the same exact same amount of ice time. Uh, and and Ufa was a team that you know he wasn't a primary primary option, but he cert- and he certainly generated a lot of opportunities for his teammates. And sometimes they just wouldn't finish them for him. Um, you know, so, so Nybeck is a guy that I will certainly be taking a closer look at. Uh, but I, there are other players that I think just have kind of bumped him down a little bit. Uh, can Cooper Merity become an NHL level player? What, how he's what, 24 now? 25? Oh, he's 23. Turning 24 in December. I mean, if he's going to be an NHL player, he probably should soon. Um, not as good of a year this year as he was last year. Uh, so I don't know what caused that. I didn't see a tremendous amount of Bakersfield this year. Um, usually when you see regression like that in a 23 year old, not the best sign. I mean, I guess he could pull it off. It's not, it's not impossible. Um, especially considering how good he was last year. I don't know what happened in Bakersfield this year, but you know, it's possible. He's not done. He's got another year of a contract and he'd probably be pretty cheap to keep for another couple of years. Um, and, and the Oilers I think will have some pretty open jobs considering half of their team doesn't have a contract next year. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of them from this year. Last year, I thought he was perfectly reasonable to at least get a cup of coffee and he did, and he didn't do much, but, uh, <laughs> next year is always next year. So we'll see. I, I don't know. The clock is ticking on him though, because, once you turn 24, 25-ish, then that's when things start to, you know, teams might want to take a step away and look somewhere else. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alex Cotton? Really aggressive offensive player. Not the best mobile defenseman. Not my type of defenseman, really. Um, really focused on offense this year, it seems. So I'm not totally sure. Uh, I'm not totally sure about his projectability. Um, plays on a pretty good team as well. Uh I just I, not a guy that I, I I see a tremendous future in. Certainly has a lot of really good data behind him, but I think a lot of that comes from 
power play points and really chasing offense offensively but he's a big strong dude with you know good puck protection but yeah yeah um what is the dangerous what is the what is the data say on raymond's high danger shot attempts uh individually from the two games he barely got yeah they don't he in the seven games i tracked raymond had zero shot attempts from high danger areas which is why the only criticism i really made on him was just get stronger on your feet you know he could battle through some encounters really well in open ice and sure it was kind of hard to knock him off pucks but he needs more confidence to get into those dangerous areas and get those attempts off because i counted zero um in terms of medium danger again 55 percent is not great considering gundler got there 69 percent of the time with his attempts uh lindell though was only 52 so you know if you're looking at players in that top 10 area you know raymond isn't that far behind and he played much more limited minutes um but there are questions about lucas raymond's game that are perfectly legitimate but i think that they're also overblown um but yeah, you would not be mistaken in that in in seeing that. I I didn't count a single time where he got an attempt from from high danger areas, which no one else uh, has managed to achieve in my tracking so far for forwards at least. Uh, at least I'm looking at it now, and it looks like that is true. Yes, that is true. Uh, even Jake Sanderson got there. Casper um, Pudio got there. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's gonna need to figure that out. But again, he's not a guy that's gonna jump straight to the NHL. Go back to Ferlunda. Keep learning. Keep going. It might be two years. Who knows? But if you wait, I think he's going to be a tremendous player for sure. Um, and if he slips, good for you. Uh, and the main thing I tried to write home about with that video is that he's playing very limited minutes. His teammates aren't the best teammates they have. He's very talented. Uh, trying a lot of things offensively, especially in terms of away from the front of the net. Uh, and he still gets tremendous results. Like a 70, he, I had a 77% high and medium danger shot attempt percentage for him. So when he's on the ice... Ferlunda had 76.66% of the high and medium danger shot attempts when he was on the ice, which is staggeringly high. No, uh, The only other player that high was Tim Stutzla, who had 75%, um, which is crazy. Uh, but but that's kind of where you're at with them, um, which is ter- perfectly fine. Thoughts on Vasily Ponomaryov? Eh, I don't know. I'm not, I don't see too much there. Late second round pick to me just a versatile guy but i'm not sure he's much of a needle mover to me uh good skill from time to time when he's not with schwinnigan he seems to be better i don't know i'm not a guy that i'm extremely high on uh why you put raymond higher than a guy like holtz perfetti and lindell uh because he's better at both ends of the ice than holtz by a long shot um i would say also above perfetti i think that his he's playing against professionals and I feel like I'd be curious to see how Perfetti would do in the SHL in the same role as Raymond. Uh, I think Raymond was playing bottom six minutes and was doing extremely well doing it. Uh, Perfetti, I think, Perfetti is, has a lot of potential. And again, to me, the range of the draft from, I'd say, well, three through five, I think, is pretty much isolated with Raymond in there with Stutzla and Rossi. But, but the six through ten is not far behind um, to me. Lundell, I think, just doesn't have the offensive upside that, that Raymond does. Um, I just don't see that, at least not right now. And Raymond is, I think, a better skater with better skill, um, but certainly not as refined defensively. And Perfetti, I think, you know, he's a rock-solid player. He's going to score a lot of points, I think, and be a good two-way guy. Uh, but 
I think that the skating is something that puts Raymond up there ahead of Perfetti right now. But again, not that much of a difference here. But I just I think with Raymond, if you wait and you're patient and you let him play, and over time he gets better and better in the SHL, I think he's going to be a good player. Uh, how much do you value best on best games versus regular league games? Do you think their importance is overblown? I pretty much only track like, oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, it's it colors your opinion. So I think it's good to see prospect games and see who stands out. I think it's good to see international games and see who stands out, and that's it. Um, I think that you're looking at, to me, I look at players and I, I value games where they're playing against good teams because a good team playing a bad junior team is fun to watch, and I think it's a good experience if you want to learn how to do this kind of work. You know, learn what a good hockey team looks like and what a bad hockey team looks like kind of thing. Uh and really learn what that looks like at a high level. But I do only pretty much, except for maybe one game per player, I'll track really good, you know, really, really good teams that they're, that are the opponents. Um, but best on best tournaments, they're fun to watch. I don't track them. Uh, it's certainly good to color your opinion, as you can see the player play against a certain cohort that's different. Um, I don't know. It depends on how important people think they are. Like if it's the only thing they use to evaluate a player, then yeah, that's overblown. But if it's a thing where they go... You know, and even if it's a thing where they go, well, they had a good world junior, or they had a bad world junior, or a good under 18, or a bad under 18, that can factor in a little bit, but you have to go back to their club play and go, okay, well, what are they doing most of the time? And did that happen the same way here? What, you know, if they can't control the puck to save their life, why do you think this is the case? You know, if, if they can't control the puck to save their life in an international tournament and with their club team, then maybe that means he can't control the puck to save his life. But if it doesn't happen at the international level, but he's an unbelievable puck controller in the junior leagues, might have just had a bad game. Might just be uncomfortable. Might be a little bit stressed out. I don't know. Um, might need a bit of coaching, a little pat on the back. I don't know. Uh, but I certainly don't read into it too, too much. Um, do you think if Holtz or Raymond played in the Allsvenskan, they would have produced similar to Pedersen in their draft year? Uh, that's a good question. Holtz, I think, would have been just fine. I think the Allsvenskan really ramps down the speed of play, and I think with more open ice and more time to think and, and more time to play around, Holtz would really have done a lot of good. Uh, but, you know, at least in terms of goal scoring, um, Raymond, I think would have been a really interesting one. I mean, he probably would have really done a lot of damage in that league, uh, playing a lot of minutes and doing all that good stuff. Uh, Pedersen, I don't know. Raymond might have been on that level if he, you know, Raymond, because what Pedersen, what drew me to Pedersen was that his offense was incredible, but his, his defense was also very good. Both ends of the ice, he was extremely reliable. And, and really good at driving play overall relative to his team. And that stood out a lot. I don't think those guys would be on that high a level because in retrospect, Pedersen should have been number one or two instead of Nolan Patrick, for sure. You know, you could make the argument that Nico Heischer has a lot of potential still in the tank, but Pedersen has been spectacular for Vancouver. And, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I, like, I like both of those Swedish guys but I don't really think that at the same age they're on the same level of, as Pedersen. But I believe Pedersen was in a later birthday of the prior year. So he had a bit more experience, but not a tremendous amount more. Um, and I think Raymond probably would have driven more similar results to Pedersen, but maybe Holtz would have scored a similar amount of points, I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, would you rather have Brendan Brisson over Shane Pinto? 
I don't know. I'm not huge on either. I like Shane Pinto. I like Brendan Brisson. I might take Shane Pinto just based on what he did last year in, in the USHL and what he's done this year. Um, if you're asking me today, I say Shane Pinto because I know what I'm looking at with him more than I know with Brendan Brisson. I don't know if Brendan Brisson is this first round pick guy that he seems to be to some people. Um, but, but, you know, I see what people are saying about him, but he's, it's just not really my brand of centerman that, that I'm really looking for. You know, uh, I, I think he's much more of a laid back sort of transition center who just kind of chips in to keep play moving with his brain, which is great. Uh, but I just, I wonder about the projectability of that, but he's a good player, perfectly reasonable second round pick, no question. Uh, but with Shane Pinto, you know, I think there's a bit more skill to him. There's a bit more aggression to him in terms of in the offensive zone, like pushing to the net, um, really sort of trying to drive the bus for a line, I think with Shane Pinto right now, but either are just kind of, to me, just like good options, I guess you would say. Uh, reasons for having Lindell ahead of Holtz and Perfetti. Uh, well, Lindell, yeah. So <laughs> Holtz, the thing with Holtz is, I mean, th I said it in the video, his defense is brutal. Some of the decisions he makes in his own end are just brutal. Yeah, you can, you can, you can say it's his team's fault, blah, blah, blah. But, but I don't, I really would like to see players drive good results regardless of the position they play. Um, you know, I think Lindell's defensive Lindell. It depends on who's drafting him. Lindell's defensive refinement is so hard to find. Uh, and if his skating and skill can take a step, then he could be a really special player with Holtz. I mean, there's stuff that he certainly needs to work on more stuff than Lindell, uh, Perfetti, the skating might hold him back really long-term, but honestly, if you wanted to take Cole Perfetti over Lindell, pfft, you could convince me to do it. If you wanted to take Alexander Holtz over Lundell, you've got nine centers on your NHL lineup and you don't know what to do with Anton Lundell and you can't score a goal to save your life and you want a guy who's going to be there in a year or two to figure it out and you're willing to live with some real shortcomings, of course, I would do it. I would not put up a fight. Uh, you know, that's why I tier these things. I don't, I don't exclusively just look at the order the players are ranked because it depends on who's taking them, what your developmental pipeline looks like, how confident you are in that pipeline, and and what you're looking for. That's really it. Um, that's that's really it. So I don't know. Like I have him ranked higher because I think there's more refinement to his game. There's more defensive ability in a in a tough league uh, to play defensively. Um, you know, he's a conservative player, but he's good at it, and I think that that's valuable. Um, and I, I think his under offense is underrated, but I also find that, that he's got, you know, some limitations as well. That's Lundell, but Perfetti, again, you could easily coin flip that one to me and Holtz. You could convince me. I probably want the more conservative, you know, two-way dude before I take the risk on Holtz, but you could convince me. Uh, don't, don't think too much about the exact order in which my, my rankings are in. It's not, I don't, it gets really nitpicky and, uh, there's so much context that goes into it. Thoughts on Gage Gonsalves's breakout year. Uh, I don't know. I don't really see a ton that makes me think he's legit. I just watched Everett play today. Uh, he hard, he's a hard working dude, pushes offense really well, but I, I am not totally sure. Uh, someone might go out and pick him. Um, I just, he's not a guy that I'm really looking at. I mean, this is what kind of concerns me about him. 
So he's boosting offense by 88% when he's on the ice, but boosting goals against by 60% when he's on the ice. So it equals out to be a net positive. But he's kind of really chasing offense and really trying to push offense, which is fine. Um, just and, and not a ton of bus driving when you're scoring the points offensively. So it leads me to believe that other players on his line are doing a lot of, of stuff for him. Um, you know, like his involvement percentage at even strength is 31%. Great. But primary points is 24%. And you can find draft eligible players that have this metric uh, in the WHL. Like, let's just take a quick look. Um, greater than or equal to 0.25. Oh, that didn't work. Greater than or equal to 0.25. Go. So, like, all of these players are not all CHLers, but you can find players with Gonzalez's Cons- primary involvement all over the place. Uh, if you want overragers, you know, Xavier Simono is in there. I like him too. Uh, Igor Sokolov is way up over 30%. Um, you know, if you really want Gonzalez, then go nuts. He's a good offensive player, but just not a guy that I'm jumping at for an overager. Uh, odds that Chutnev and Ovchinikov go undrafted. It seems like they're pretty high. Uh, if th- if those guys are available in the sixth and seventh rounds, then those are guys that I'm swinging on, no question. Uh, Brian Schlaff just got done watching Yoni Yermo highlights. He is unbelievable. He's very good. Yes. Uh, hey, Will. Hope you're well. Thoughts on Max Glotzel? Did it off the top of the video. Um, saw him play in the DEL this year. Don't really like his mobility. Don't really like the real upside there. I don't know. A guy I probably want to see another year of in the German Pro League. I don't I don't know. I would probably refrain from drafting him, but that's because I'm probably just unfamiliar with him. The fact that he didn't make the World Junior team, you know, usually really solid draft eligible German players would make their World Junior team. I don't know. Maybe that was a mistake they made, but based on what I've seen of him, I don't see a tremendous amount. At least not right now. Uh, can you compare Pashin and Kuznudinov? Uh, sure. So Kuznodinov is a rambunctious, two-way, really smart player. Just incredibly smart, incredibly aggressive, uh, with and without the puck. A field general on the ice, you know, incredible transition player. Um, Poshin is much more of an offensively focused guy. Uh, not as good in terms of, you know, playing in transition, but he will drive a lot of controlled transitions on his own stick. You know, he, he's got a lot of speed. He's willing to play aggressively. He's willing to push play up the ice with, with his own stick. Um, he is a better offensive player, I think, right now than Marat Kuznodinov. But Kuznodinov drove, you know, drove the, the bus that, that, that provided the, the situation for offense all the time. Um, I think Kuznodinov is a smarter player than Poshin. Poshin defensively needs work. He can kind of float in his own end a little bit. Um, but in terms of, you know no BS offense, I would look at Poshin. But Kuznodinov, I think long-term, uh, he's ex- just such a smart kid. I'd love to pick his brain about how he plays and all that stuff. And if you're willing to be patient with him and let him sort of be what he is, um, if he can get stronger on his legs, then I think he could be a really, really special player. Uh, I re- he's the guy I'm sticking my neck out the most for, I think. Whereas Poshin, I certainly think he's going to be a good player. There's a strong possibility that he's a very, very good offensive player in the NHL. Um, but he is small and he does have some of those weaknesses that come with being small. I don't really see the same weaknesses with, with Kuznodinov in the same, in the same vein. 
what do you think of Jacob Perot? I think he's slept on. Yeah, uh, I like Jacob Perot, at least offensively. Um, defensively needs some work. This is getting hot. Uh, defensively needs some work. Not the best uh, two-way guy, I think. But in terms of puck control and moving pucks up the ice and, and offense, he's very, very good. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential with Jacob Perot. Uh, gonna need to be really patient with him in terms of working out his negatives, just sort of making them competent. I don't know if he's going to be a center. He has the mobility to do it. I think he plays the right way to do it most of the time. But when he's not perfectly on, uh, he can really miss out on some stuff and it can get a little greasy. Um, but I, I like him for his upside. He's a high-octane dude. It's not like he's scoring points by not moving around the ice. He's doing his job. Um, and he's driving a ton of offense. Like if I'm looking, so the, the, the metric that I brought up in the Poshin video, if you haven't seen it, let me pull this up here. It's like what I would call offensive threat. So dangerous pass attempts per 60 minutes added to individ the player's high and medium danger shot attempts. So where is he? Perot. So his offensive, Perot's offensive threat level is 24. So individual high, medium danger, and uh, dangerous pass attempts per 60 minutes combined. So he's at a 24. And guys that are at 24 or greater in a large sample, like let's call it three games or more. Um, let's just filter that out. Actually, let's just sort it. Uh, so sorting it from top to bottom, that would put him one, two, three, four, sixth. So in terms of offensive threat, he he's sixth behind Gushin, Foodie, Pashin, uh, bon Benjamin Baumgartner, uh, Dmitry Ovchinikov, and Dmitry Ovchinikov. So, and he's actually, he's funny. He's tied with Ovchinikov. So he's a shade above Lucas Reichel, but he plays against men. Baumgartner plays against men. Um, just a shade above Perfetti, a shade above Rossi, uh, two, two ahead of Byfield, uh, ahead of Lafreniere, interestingly enough. Um, so yeah, he, he drives a lot of offensive things really, really well. His weakness will always be the defensive zone though, and defensive transitions. Cause he can really take the foot off the gas pedal too much. But in terms of offense, I like him. The, he, he'll, he'll be, he'll be a good YouTube highlights guy. Um, is Rodion Amirov what? What is he? Is he what? Um, no, 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 no. okay. Is Rodion Amirov the top Russian still, or do you think Murat has surpassed him? The ironic, the funny thing is that Murat is almost a full year younger than Amirov, uh, and I'm pretty convinced that Murat Kuznetinov would have an under 18 like Amirov had last year. I I really believe that. Um, Amirov was a point and a half per game with the uh, under 18s and was pretty darn good. Uh. I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't think I would take Kuznetinov over Amirov just because I've seen a lot of Amirov in the KHL and I think that there's a really good offensive scorer there. Good two-way player too. Underrated in transition as well when it's defensive. Um, just a good player. I like Amirov really well. I, I, I like him a lot. Uh, Murat, I think there's a ton of potential. Not sure I put him above Amirov right now. I think Amirov's a really good player. I have him at 12 and I think Kuznetinov is like 14th or 15th. So, oh, thir 13. That's not right. That's not right. Um, yeah, 14. Maybe I'm crazy. Um, they're not far apart, though, and I imagine in a year, Kuznetinov, you know, Amirov went to the VHL this year and was like a just under a point per game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and one of the games that I tracked, so I'm up to seven games for Amirov. He's coming up soon for all of you keeners. Uh, and, uh, and he's a weird one where I have one game tracked where he's in the MHL 
uh, I believe it's five in the KHL and one in the VHL, just to get like a mix of everything. Um, oh, it's two in the Junior League, one in the VHL, uh, and the rest four are in the the other four are the KHL. Um, and you know it, he played five games in the VHL and put up three points. If Marat Kuznetinov plays a full year with SKA Neva St. Petersburg next year and puts up half a point per game, then I'm all in. I that that makes sense to me. I could see that perfectly being reasonable. He might play fourth line minutes and have four points for all I know. Um, but it, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. And then next year you're looking at at Kuznetinov and Amirov. You know maybe Amirov becomes you know, they're almost a full year apart. July twenty July two thousand and two. In October 2000 and early October 2001, not that huge of a difference in the grand scheme of things uh, in terms of a year's difference. So I'm curious to see, uh, but I would have Amirov first. Um, but in a year, Kuznetinov could do a lot of catching up. Uh, have you gotten a chance to watch Wyatt Kaiser? Unfortunately, no. Uh, sorry about that. I have not. Um, not a ton of high school guys that I'm super high on, but that's a name I will check out. I'll write it down. Um, let me just do that now. Uh, would you sign Austin Keating to jo- or Joseph Gareffa to an AHL deal? Gareffa, yes, and he already was. Uh, Keating, not sure. I don't think I would do one with Keating. I don't think there's enough there. Uh, he didn't really develop enough over the last couple of years. Every, everyone around him kind of got better, and I feel like he's a good player, but nothing like too spectacular that, that I'm willing to sort of write home about tremendously. Um... But yeah, Gareffa, I think, has all the potential to, to, to work it out. I think an AHL deal is a good thing for him. Uh, he deserved an ELC, I thought. And I, I think that he's going to be a good player, um, you know, maybe, at least in some level. Like, I feel like if he ever goes to Europe, he's going to just destroy the place. Um, but, but, you know, he'll get a good look with San Jose and they're very progressive. And I always love San Jose's drafting and developing and they're, I think they're going to get somewhere with him. Uh, thoughts on Will Cooley and Jean-Luc Foudy and where do you have them ranked? Cooley, I'm not cool. I am cool on Cooley. Very, very cool. Not a huge fan of him. Just not a style of play that I'm really looking for. Foodie, I think people are poo-pooing a little bit too much. I have him at 32. Um, the data that I've tracked on him is spectacular. I mean, if I've seen him play on lines with Curtis Douglas and Will Cooley, I don't know why Windsor would put those three guys together. Um, you know, and I imagine like, I'm trying to imagine Jean-Luc Foodie centering Jack Quinn, for example, in an ideal, in a, in a perfect world. And I'm really fascinated to see what kind of point totals Foodie would put up playing with Jack, Jack Quinn. Um, you know, really talented player. Some stuff up here has got to get worked out. Decision-making, not always great. Can hold onto the puck way too long, but but I'm a big fan of Jean-Luc Foudy. Uh, and if he's available in the late second or even the third round, then not the worst swing you could take. Actually, that's a good thing to... That's a good moment to show off this thing that I just gave to patrons. Uh, I won't make the link public, obviously, because it's private to people who... Uh, Dude, but this is kind of the gist of what I'm getting at. Usually, this is to full screen, and I'm still trying to make it look pretty. Um, but it basically separates all the data I've tracked into forwards and defensemen, um, and then it has all these fun little dots. Um, and so the one that I wanted to look at is this one, which is offensive threat. So um, this little doohickey here. So you can't really read the labels because you need to full screen it. But uh, if you're higher on this area, you're more of a shooter. So your individual high and medium danger per 60 is... Uh, 
just you're shooting pucks from high danger areas. So up here you've got Lucas Reichel. Tons of individual shot attempts from close up, but not a ton of dangerous passing relatively. Um, you have the probably a defender area where you're not getting a ton of me or of, of those dangerous chances, and you're not doing a lot of dangerous passing. So that would be Martin Kromiak. Those are Slovakian pro league games. So keep that in mind. Not doing a tremendous amount in that area either. Um, but you're wondering might maybe who this guy is and who this guy is. Um, this is Daniel Gushin. Uh, just bonkers good. That's really all. Um, and then this one's Jean-Luc Foodie. So in terms of the playmaker area, where you're not getting a ton of individual higher medium danger shot attempts, but you're putting pucks there away from that area, Foodie is ridiculously far over in that category. Um, so you pretty much have an interesting outer layer here where you have, oh yeah, you, you want the guy that just basically shoots it? Uh, that's Lucas Reichel. Oh, you want the, the guy that does both, you know, playmaker and shooter? Sure, Danny Gustin could be that guy. Uh, but the guy who, if you just want a playmaker, there's Foodie right there. You know, he, he does the thing. Um, that's also Jean-Luc Foodie. So dangerous passes. So the percentage of passes that are dangerous pass attempts and the number of those attempts per 60 minutes plotted against each other, um, the Jean-Luc Foodie is way up here. Like everyone else is circled around here. He's up here. He's not just, he's just not getting the points. He's doing all of this stuff. Just the rest is not happening. And putting him with Will Cooley, you know, I wouldn't expect Will Cooley to be out here. I wouldn't expect him to be out here either. You know, I, w I, I don't even, based on what I've seen, I don't even expect Will Cooley to be up here. I, I don't. Um, so there's something to Jean-Luc Foudy that I think a lot of people are missing. So there's my advertisement of the day. Uh, okay, so there's another question about Will Cooley. What round do you see his value? Somewhere in the mid-rounds. But someone's going to pick him really early and I'll let him do it. Uh, what do you think Calgary would ask for in a trade for Dustin Wolf? Oh, okay. Keith, you asked me about the Spice Girls. Uh, which Spice Girl would I be? And I did not answer you because I am a bad friend. Um, I mean, Sporty Spice is the easy answer, but I'm not athletic whatsoever. Scary Spice, probably, because I can turn people off extremely quickly with my strangeness. Especially when I start talking about my hobby job which is talking about draft eligible hockey prospects and watching junior hockey in countries around the world where they have attendances of 12 people um so that would probably be it that that, that would be my vote i asked my girlfriend as well and she had no idea she didn't know and she's a spice girls fan so take it up with her too um also backstreet boys nsync 98 degrees new kids on the block are five Backstreet Boys, all day. First concert I ever went to uh, at the uh, Air Canada Center, Backstreet Boys. Um, who do, what do you think Calgary would ask for in a trade with Dustin Wolf? Why would they trade him? That's my answer. Um, he's been good. Uh, I wouldn't offer much because he's small, and small goalies, I think, do have problems getting to the NHL and staying there. So I wouldn't offer much. But Calgary probably doesn't want to let him go, at least not right now. Um I think Calgary, like, doesn't really have a market for him. Because, like, what, you know, if if they send out an email to everyone, hey, Dustin Wolf is available, who's going to call you back and why? Be like, all right, so the guy you took in the seventh round last year that everyone passed on six times at least, we don't want to, we don't want to think about it. You know, I don't know. I don't, I just don't see that happening at all. Um, so you probably wouldn't get very much. And if Calgary wanted a second round pick for him, no, people would just go, no, maybe in a year, 
if we desperately need a goalie and he's been unbelievably ready for the NHL for a year, but I think he's a long shot, uh, really, to be honest. And yeah, not, yeah, not a huge, not sure. Um, if you're in an NHL war room, what would be your philosophy on the late rounds? Swing on as best the, as the, on the best data you can find, um, swing on anything. If there's a Russian kid who, you know, like if Dmitry Ovchinikov is there with the last pick in the draft, I will trade you a seventh round pick. I'll give you a kid that the guy before me drafted in the seventh round that, that nobody wants. And I'll be like, you know what? I'll take your seventh round pick. Just can I have it? I'll take the last pick in the draft. Just give it to me. I want this kid, you know, cause there's data to back it up. There's information, you know, you can do the work and say, okay, this is what, this is what I want. These are the players. And, and you don't have to be like, oh, I'll just take this guy because, you know, his dad was an NHL or, or he's an overager that did well. Like I'd rather draft really, really good, really young players and get the most runway to develop them with in terms of their life. Um, and so, you know, if I'm late, if I'm later on in the draft, I'm swinging on, on paper value. Uh, I'm swinging on, you know, I don't really care where they come from. If it's me, I'm imagining my NHL team is pretty multicultural. There, there, there are really good players all over the world. And a lot of them slip in the draft just because teams don't either don't have scouts in those locations or they don't send them there a ton or they don't trust them or they're outnumbered by their North American guys. So the North American kids are more likely to get picked. I just want the good kids. Just give me good players who fit the style of play that I like to see. And I think that, that the rest can kind of over time sort itself out. Uh, so value, value, value. Just look at the paper stuff that they're doing. Look at the results, not just the point totals, but the results and, uh, and go from there. Uh, Mathis Desjardins odds are the odds that the odds that the team that drafts Amirov also picks up Pashin later on and maybe Alalikin. That's never a good idea when you draft multiple players from the same team. It, but if you're drafting two good players from the same team, then sure. Uh, every so often you see teams get a lot of their players get drafted and even the older guys. So I wouldn't be surprised if guys like Alalekin, Suchkov, Beachkov, uh, is that, is it Beachkov? Let me check. I think he's ranked on my list here. Uh, Suchkov, oh, Bashkarov, that's the one. Uh, Suchkov, Bashkarov, and, um, and Alalekin, I think all could get picked by teams who go, we liked Amirov with them and we liked Pashin maybe, I guess, but these other guys who are overrated, like, uh, Arizona did that with Alex Darian last year, I'm assuming, um, Maxime Berioskin to Edmonton, you know, all of, all these guys are kind of later on picks and they play for the same team as higher level players. And they go, you know what? These older guys also played pretty well too. So let's see what happens. Um, and they don't look that silly in retrospect, at least the, the, the Darian pick, I don't think is silly. Uh, we'll see, uh, but, uh, that's the one Maxime Dineshkin. Uh, Barry Oskin is eligible this year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would do it. I, I would rather cast a wider net, but if you really liked all three of those players and they were the best players on your board, then you just lucked out and picked those three guys in the same draft. I just, it would be weird. Um, okay. Have you ever heard of an NBA style draft and trade move by an NHL team? If not, uh, in your opinion, why doesn't it happen? I've always wondered why that never happens. I would, if I was a general manager, I would explore it. You know, it's like, 
it's like that Brian Burke thing where you go up and you know, you, he went up to Brian Murray and told him he was taking Nazem Kadri. He's like, who do you want, Kadri? Well, too bad, because I'm taking him. It's like, well, what if Brian Murray comes back and goes, look, I know you want Kadri. Can I, what would it take for me to get him from you? Being Toronto, like a divisional rival, like what would it take? And maybe a deal could be worked out where Toronto could give up Nazem Kadri. Because you have, it's the draft. Like, you could hold a player ransom. It's 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 weird. I don't think there's anything against the rules for it. Um, but there are players who have been drafted by teams uh, and traded, I believe, the same summer, um, but not at the draft. And I'm curious, I, I think it's probably because it's just not expected. Like, it's kind of a gentleman's agreement to be like, look, you draft your player, that's your guy, and you're keeping him. Whereas, if I, in my opinion, it's like, hey, you drafted a guy that I want, can I have him? You know, what would it take to, to make you second, make, make you think about your decision again? You know, I think technically also it kind of happens as well later on. Like in, it might not happen, but let's say you, any sort of trade up scenario is kind of that, but in a, in a more, in a, in a more proper way where it's like, look, there's a guy on our list that we want and we don't think he's going to be available 10 picks later. So can we move up? And and maybe the other team doesn't know who that player is, but you can say, okay, well, what would it take for us to run the chance of losing a guy that we want? And maybe that's more of the thing. But certainly, I mean, if you're talking about the 23rd overall pick and someone picks him up and you're like, look, I really want this guy. I'll give you a first round pick next year. You know, just trust me because the odds are you know, if you think my team is trash, then maybe you get a lottery pick out of it and I look stupid. It's a risk, but, you know, if you really believe in that player and you really want that player and you already maybe have another first-round pick in this year's draft and you've got a good prospect pipeline, you know, like if the Montreal Canadiens, there was a guy in the late first round this year who they really loved and missed out on because of reasons, they already have a ton in their pipeline already ready to go. And if Mark Bergevin is like, look, we'll take the chance and give you a first round pick next year and just give us the, you know, who, whoever it might be, then, then maybe there's something that happens there, but I, it never happens. I think because there's this gentleman's agreement about it. Um, the flyers have struck gold with unde- undrafted defensemen like Myers and Igor Zamula. Any defensemen in the late rounds you think have not put up great numbers, but think have undiscovered upside. Uh, sure. Uh, I think Victor Mancini is one playing with the Frölunda junior team in Sweden. Uh, I think he's a guy that has a lot of potential that nobody is talking about. Marco Staka playing in the Slovakian league as well. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if these guys will get ELCs right away, but I think that they're good players. Um, the good thing about Canadian hockey league guys getting ELCs is that they can just go back to the same teams. Um, who are some other ones here? Uh, Landon Kozier is another one who later on, later on I've liked. Jacob Dion might be a guy who somehow goes undrafted and you pick him up on an ELC if you really like him after a camp, camp invite. Uh, who else is on here? Uh, Mitchell Smith might be a guy that I take a look at. I don't know if he'll get drafted. Uh, He's unranked, which is surprising, but he's extremely young. And he's a guy that plays a very specific type of defense that is kind of interesting. And if a team really likes it, maybe that's a guy that ELCs. Um, but those are some fun ones. Those both Zamula especially was you know a more mobile type guy. And there's a lot of guys with some nice mobility, but are pretty raw. 
um, and Kozier's one of them, and Mitchell Smith is, I think, another one. Um, so yeah, th- some interesting ones for sure. Uh, haven't heard much about Maverick Bork. How does his stats and fair and play fair versus his peers? I like Maverick Bork. Uh, I, 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 it depends on. He can kind of be a bit of a passenger here and there, but I think when he's at his best, he's really good and his data looks fantastic. Um, so I, I don't mind him. I like him. He's a re- responsible player. 40% involvement is usually a pretty good measure of success. Uh, so I'll take a risk on that kind of production if he starts slipping in the draft for sure. Excuse me while I hydrate and hopefully close this out. All right, I'll, 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 I'll close this out quick. Thoughts on Luke Reed. I don't really see too much of a needle mover. I like him. He's a good two-way guy. Um, but Chicago seems like a team that just works incredibly well as a unit. Um, I don't know what kind of upside he has. It's it's not... I just am not sure. Um, the offense is kind of eh. Um, and, and in terms of defense, like relative to his team, he's not that much of a good defensive suppressor. I just don't know. Not a guy that I'm really climbing, climbing over myself to draft personally. Um, I have seen some nice highlights of him, but again, like based on what I've seen of Chicago, not a guy that's jumping off the page to me. Uh, how much do you value a player improving over the course of the year? A lot. I mean, I like it. I like to see players who improve over the course of the season. Um, Marat Kustantinov, second half. Seth Jarvis, second half. It's like, what do you believe more? I think that they're good I, I think that there are some good bets out there for players that got better in the second half. Tristan Robbins is another one who improved in the second half. So I like, I like, you know, those types of players. Um, and, and it, and it indicates to me that they're still growing in their game. Uh, you know, but having players that are consistently good all season long, that's not the end of the world. Uh, especially guys at the top end, because it's like, you, you know, they're already scoring 120 points. Where else are they supposed to go? Um, but yeah, I, I, I value it. I, I don't think about it constantly, um, but it does factor in pretty well. Uh, and it might, you know, some things, some guys might just take a while to hit their stride playing in any sport. So maybe there are some of those guys available. Uh, I know you've, I've asked you this question before, but Norlander had a great year in Sweden this year and is headed to Forlunda. I think his game translates to the SHL just fine. He's a project for sure. Uh, really toolsy guy, great hands, um, really fun offensively. I think he translates well. Forlunda's a really well-refined program that does not really tolerate being bad. Um, so he's he's got... I think he's going to fit in pretty well. And if he doesn't, he'll fit in pretty well pretty quickly, I hope. Uh, have you watched Emil Haneman? Yes, he's very good. That's why he was my underrated guy of the draft, according to McKean's Hockey. What CHL overager should get a look for an ELC? Um... It's a good question. I don't really have overagers in my list. A lot of the ones I would look at got a, already got their deals. Like Garefo is one where I would have looked. Uh, Jake Christensen, I guess, has some nice tools. Uh, I would pull a list, but I don't want to. I don't. Wanna, I don't, don't want to take forever to filter it down. Um, not a not a tremendous amount, I would say. Like it's really hard to pick up overagers that are that turn into something. But of all of them, the ones that I would push for probably really is just Gareffa. Like, that's the one that I really liked. In terms of, just go out there, play your heart out, skate hard, and make plays offensively. Just, that's your job. Go nuts. And he can do that. And I like it. Uh, thoughts on Niederbach and Evangelista? Niederbach's a power play pretty much guy to me. I, I'm not a huge fan of him. Um, I know he has his fans. 
Uh, I've seen him do some stuff once in a while that's really impressive, but not a tremendous amount that I'm really writing home about with 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 Teddy Niederbach. And with Evangelista, one of the best offensive players in terms of pushing play offensively relative to his team and one of the worst defensive. Um, great power, great even strength production though, which is really, really good. A lot of it is secondary assists, or at least they're listed as such. Uh, you know, still a pretty big net negative, but a guy I have in my third round and like as a swing on his skill and his on his talent, then that's a guy that I could certainly take a look at in the mid rounds. Uh, top skaters of this year's draft and top stick handlers. Ooh, uh, top skaters of the draft. I mean, Byfield for his size is right up there. Um, you know, in terms of defensemen, William Wallander is right up there. I love his skating; it's phenomenal. Uh, it, you know, I, I at least I think it could be. Um, Rodion Mirov is a really fluid skater, but he's not the fastest guy. But he's just really mobile and agile. Um, but in terms of pure just skating, uh, Byfield is probably up there. And in terms of stick handlers, Marco Rossi's really slippery. He's a nice, skilled, slippery dude. Uh, Tim Stutzla is ridiculously skilled as well. Lafreniere, really, really good hands on him as well. And he does it with purpose. Like, everything he does, he does for a reason, which is part of the reason I like him. Um, but Stutzla's probably up there as well. Uh, who else? Hmm... Danny Gustin has some good skill as well, but but definitely Byfield and Stutzler are kind of up at the top there. Uh, and Rossi, I would say. Stut- Byfield's a bit behind, but I think he could get there. He's a really, really good stick handler as well, but not as much as guys like Rossi and Stutzler for sure. What are your top three hockey players? What are your top three players that are also amazing at throwing the body around? Uh, hope life is good. It is good. Uh, th- three guys good at throwing the body around. Uh, hmm... Um, it's not that I don't like when guys do that. It's just, I don't like when guys use that as their primary option of doing stuff. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, Dylan Holloway is really effective with how, how he plays physically, uh, knows how to sort of apply pressure on breakouts and everything. And in the defensive end to sort of shut play down. Um, you know, I think who else is on here? I mean, Caden Gooley is extremely good at throwing his weight around, for sure. Uh, he, he's very, very good at it. That's not uh, a mystery. Um, up at the top end of the draft, Marco Rossi really throws himself around. He's rambunctious. He's aggressive. Um, you know, he's not scared of anyone, really. And uh, he's a he can be a very bad man. Lafreniere, though, really throws his body around. Um you know, if I'm saying top three players have thrown their body around overall, probably Ro- probably Lafreniere at the top, over all things considered. One of these classic Hockey Canada guys who just finishes all of his checks and plays hard. Marco Rossi, I think, also throws his weight around. It's just not super effective, but he does it just to do it, which is fine. And probably Caden Gooley as well is in there. Those are the three that really jump off to me. Um, who are your favorite NHL scouts and why? Ooh, I don't know. Um... I like the ones who were open about their methodology and, and open with people who want to do this and don't kind of throw us under the bus. Um, there's a few of them out there that, that are out there talking to people and, 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 and picking their brain and everything. 
but I don't know uh, about favorite NHL scouts. I have like I love I love teams and their overall approach to the draft more than anything. Like Carolina uh, and their draft last year was bonkers, um, and I'm curious to see how that works out for them. So so stuff like that works. Uh, is Strong just third round talent? Not to me personally. Uh, I believe the Canes owner is quoted as saying he wouldn't take a defenseman in the third in the first round. As a general rule of thumb. Is it easier to find late-blooming defensemen in the later rounds compared to a forward? Also, with respect to outcomes of first-round picks, is a first-round forward safer than a first-round defenseman? Um, I don't think so. I so okay. So I know Carolina said that they don't take they don't want to take defensemen in the first round, and I can understand that. Defensemen are really are tougher to project than forwards. Um, you know, projecting how a young player will play against men is not easy, uh, especially when it's the NHL they're dealing with. Uh, personally, I think that you can find good defensemen more... You can find you can find good players everywhere in the draft, but you can find valuable defensemen who can play decently well almost everywhere. I mean, on my list of players that I keep track of that I would have picked... I'm trying to look at who would be a first-round pick for me, who would have been a first-round pick. Liljegren, and that's it. It would have been Liljegren, and that's the only defenseman I would have taken in the first round out of all of them that I've seen. Um, and I still end up with guys like Cal Capobianco, Mitch Van de Sample, um, Adam Fox, Frederick Ayard, who for some reason still isn't in the NHL, Kalen Addison, Rasmus Anderson. You know, all of these guys are available outside the first round. So... I don't really think it's an in- incredibly important thing to focus on in the in the first round, but there are good defensemen available in the first round, and I think there are a couple of good ones available this year. Just teams will look for defensemen specifically and take the type of defenseman that you don't really can rely on, that you can't really rely on as much, or at least is not as effective at both ends of the ice. Um, And I think first round forwards... It, you have to know what you're getting at, right? Like you, you need mobility. You need guys who can skate and, and you know, some of the forwards, it's easier to project forwards because they are focused on pushing play with the puck offensively. Um, that's important. And you, you know, with defensemen, their focus should be preventing that from happening. And that can get tough when things get really, really fast and guys know how to get around guys and guys have tons of skill and all that stuff. Um, and defensemen take a little bit longer to develop because they need to be able to control those gaps and keep up. So when I look at a defenseman like a Jake Sanderson and he can do that gap control thing really effectively, over time it might take time to continue to build that up uh, and be as good. Um, And I certainly don't think he would be a guy I look at in the top 10, but a guy I perfectly reasonably would be happy to take a look at in in the middle of the first round at the earliest and go, okay, I know what he is. I'm going to I'm going to go with this and see what happens. But at the same time, I can look at an Alex Poshin and say there's a chance he turns into nothing, but boy, if he works out, he's going to embarrass guys like Jake Sanderson if, you know, like there are moments where Poshin can just humiliate you, and I'd rather take the chance on the guy that has the chance at humiliating your opponent with their skill and their speed in the first round than say, well, this guy could mitigate that one day maybe you know so well i don't know it's 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 hard to say i don't think it's as black and white as people say it is and it really depends on the cases you're dealing with um is there a personal reason why you refer to your significant other as your partner 
because I don't know. We we just we're we're pretty quiet people. We we don't we don't we're we're not anyway. I don't want to I don't want to get into the personal side of this, but uh, it's just something that I would rather refer to her as because we've been together a very long time. It's been a long time, but that's yeah that that that's probably enough. She usually likes to keep away from from this part of my world and let me kind of handle it, which is very nice. She helps with the production. She helps with some, you know, adulting side of this. I can be a little bit more on the fun slash childish aspect, but you know, we, we balance, we balance, we balance, we make a nice balance. Um, what does involvement and pro, okay. <laughs> what do all of these things mean? Uh, there's a video on my channel called Scouch Slang. You can check it out to get an explanation, but involvement percentage is team or total points per game by the player divided by team goals per game. So it gives you an overall estimate of on average, how many, what percentage of goals does the player get points on? What, regardless of the position, primary involvement is just removing secondary assists. Even strength involvement is only even strength points and even strength goals. Uh, NHL ES is a metric I just, I designed to roughly estimate the value of a player, but it's not at all something that you should treat as gospel. Um, goals percentage is involvement percentage, but just for goal for goals and estimated P one per 60 is estimated primary points per 60 minutes at five on five. Uh, who's your number three in the draft? Marco Rossi NHLE percentile is just the percentile at which, uh, so for example, Quentin Byfield, he has, he's the 100th percentile of NHLE score. He's got the number one on the whole sheet. So he's at the, the top end, but someone like, uh, Jan Kuznetsov or whatever is probably a little bit lower 74th percentile. So it just kind of gives you a rough estimate based on the whole sheet. You know, NHLE score is age adjusted, league adjusted and position adjusted. So, so it kind of tries to remove all the different factors that can color a player's production and tries to isolate, you know, a raw score. So Kuznetsov would be in the 74th percentile of the whole sheet that I have. After Askarov, who's the best goalie available in your opinion? Probably Kameso, I would say. Do you think China will start producing top prospects in the te- next 10 years? They're building hundreds of rinks. The thing about China that I've heard is that they want their guys to be very involved in Chinese culture and Chinese sort of work environments and all of that stuff. And they try to incorporate a lot of Chinese culture into their player development and all of that. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, but apparently that's part of the reason why those teams have had so much trouble getting off the ground in China, the junior teams in Russia and everything. Uh, it's just apparently the way that they develop and, and deal with their players is can be drastically different. Um, you know, the way that they train them on the ice, uh, all of this stuff, it just can be very different. And that's what I've been told. Um, I don't know. I hope so, because they certainly have the resources. Um, but I, I do... I don't know. It very much depends, and there's a long way to go for them to be significant players in the in the men's hockey world. Where would or did you have Patrick going in that draft? I had him at number two, and I should have had him at number three. Uh, as a Flyers fan, I still have faith. You should have faith. He's gonna. I think if he can be healthy, he can be fine. Um, really hard stuff to go through for a young guy. I had him at number two. In retrospect, I probably should have had him number three with Pedersen realist, being realistic. Pedersen at number two, but I was a coward. I am not anymore. Um, Patrick, I, I, I 
third overall would have been the spot where I would have had him at the lowest. I love his two-way game, just so responsible. I really felt that the, the Flyers were giving him the Couturier treatment, and he's a great player to pace to Sean Couturier and say, you want to be an NHL player? This is the guy you want to be. Be Sean Couturier. You, you, it's, it, can, it can happen. Here you go. And, and you go from there. Um, and I'm still hopeful, obviously. I don't want to see young guys lose their careers uh, for any reason, but I don't want to see young guys kind of go out of the league like this because it's sad. And, and uh, I mean, if Gabe Velarde can make it work, then Nolan Patrick can make it work too. Uh, have you noticed a step forward for Sanderson's offensive game in the second half? If so, did you notice his defensive metrics take a step back in coordinates? Um, uh, let me take a look. Uh, scouting rankings. I just want to look at my preliminary 2020 rankings here. So I had Sanderson just outside. Wow, I didn't even have him ranked in the first three rounds at the beginning of the year. I did say I liked his skating, but I said he was a long-term project with nothing much to show for this year, which is true uh, so far this year. Um, or so far at that point in November. But he did come a long way offensively for sure. Uh, his defense seems to be rock solid. Uh, I, I think that he cert- I think early in the year, I tracked a couple of games early in the year. The same tendencies were there. Um, it just wasn't working for him yet. And I think over time, it kind of worked its way out. He pushes into the offensive zone and gets shot attempts from more dangerous areas. Um, you know, he can be pretty aggressive with his passing. Um, but his best assets are defensive transitions and breaking pucks out from his own end. That, that to me, is where he excels. Um, and that's where he's going to make his money, personally. that That's my vote. Uh, thoughts on Brett Neumann. I think NHL teams should be looking to... He's good. He's a, he's a good offensive, skilled guy. Not sure about his potential, but again, similar to Gareffa, if you're going to give an ELC to someone, give him a look. I don't know if anyone's done that yet. Um, it looks, I, I, he, he, he makes me think, okay, so he hasn't been signed yet. He's still with Oshawa. Um, yeah, I mean, I imagine someone gives him a deal of some kind, but I don't think it'll be an NHL ELC. Uh, thoughts on Michael Tepley. He's good. I don't mind him. I think he's a fine player. Uh, again, one of these guys who wasn't really a needle mover for me last year, but I, I liked the pickup where he went. Uh, just not, just not totally there yet. Keith, did you just call me Posh Spice? That's unreal. That was a while ago. Um, Andrew Wolf, hey, Mr. Scouching. Of the already drafted, which right-hand defense prospects are projected to be the highest probability impact defensemen? I really like Noah Dobson. I don't know what happened with him this year. I I just, I really like Noah Dobson as a defenseman. Um, He's one of them. Uh, Wait, is he a right-handed? Yeah, he is a righty. Okay. Um, Rasmus Dahlin, I think could be a really good impactful defenseman at both ends of the ice. Uh, he already is. Um, but I just really, really like Rasmus Dahlin. People seem to be kind of writing him off already, but, but I think he's got all the potential in the world. I think he can be absolutely gross. Um, and I think he's got a lot of potential. Oh, he only, he had 40 points in 59 games on the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, let's just run the math on that. Um, whoop. Whoop, whoop, whoop. So 49 points in 50 games. Was that it? Fif- no. Wow, that's not right. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin, 40 points in 59 games divided by the team's total. Let's take a look. Buffalo Sabres. Uh, come on. Oh, boy. Jeff Skinner had 14 goals this year. 
Get money, get paid, right? Um, Buffalo Sabres, where are you? Somewhere near the bottom. Divided by 195 divided by 69. That's a 24% involvement percentage for a defenseman who is barely 20, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Rasmus Dahlin is going to be just fine. Uh, considering the team that he's playing on, yeah, he's 20. He turned 20 two weeks ago. That's spectacular. Uh, oh, he's a lefty. You said right-handed defenseman. My mistake. But he's got the mobility to play the right side, so I guess that helps. Uh, who else? I mean, uh, let me double check. See, handedness is something that I always forget. Um, I, I can never remember. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, Miro Haskinen as well, I think. if he he's Is he? Oh, my God. I can't see. I can't remember stuff like this. Uh, yeah, he's a lefty as well. Noah Dobson probably is up there. I think he's got good potential for for that uh, to be at least a good impact player. Um, yeah, Kale McCarr I think is a lefty, right? Nope, he's a righty. Kale McCarr would be up there as well. Uh, Eric Brandstrom left-handed? Yeah, Brandstrom's left-handed. Um, but yeah, I, I think my first instinct based on all the guys that I've seen so far would be Darlene. Um, for sure. And then Haskinen, probably not too far, or uh, Makar, not too far back, at least in an offensive sense, but but Dahlin is disgusting. Um, and just for posterity, I want to take a look at this. Uh, fifty divided by fifty-seven divided by the NHL. Nope, that's not what I want. NHL standings. Just give it to me. Just give me the NHL standings with goals per game, please. Colorado, divided by 237, divided by 70. So, yeah, Makar had about the same involvement percentage as Rasmus Dahlin this year, uh, which is very good. Um, but Dahlin also was drafted a year later, if I'm not mistaken, um, and plays on a much worse team. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of Rasmus Dahlin for sure, even though he's a left-handed player, which, too bad. Um, thoughts on Jamison Rees? Love him. Great player. Needs to f stop getting suspended. Uh, where do you get and keep your stats? Uh, so my stats are manually fed from Elite Prospects. Just pretty standard. Um, Dave McPherson runs Pick 224, which is a great website. Uh, so I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, I just pull his data and then refine it my uh, on my own in, in the back end of, of, of my Google Sheets. And everything is hosted there. I'm hoping next year I can get it offloaded into a, an actual server um, that will operate on the, the back end of my website. But I'm still not quite there yet. I don't really have the technical know-how of doing that right now. Um, but it's uh, it's been working okay uh, so far. The way that I have it now. Um, pushing Excel to its limits though. So I probably should be looking elsewhere. Um, but everything's kind of amalgamated into one giant giant sheet with a bunch of data feeds that feed into it uh from elsewhere and then everything just gets refined with with functions that i wrote uh what role do you foresee artificial intelligence determining and determining draft selection i mean it can it can help you sort through the muck i think um i think it'll help you identify what types of players you're looking for uh i think it'll help you remove bias but I don't think it replaces it. Uh, I think you desperately need eyeballs and interpersonal relationships and, you know, video analysts who really understand the game. But you can use artificial intelligence to still cut through biases and, and look at these things and give you probabilities on things maybe. 
Uh, I'm not the type of person to say, here's a 17-year-old player. They have a 24% chance of making the National Hockey League, and that's how it is. I don't really do that. I think you have to look at the case-by-case, and those estimates usually don't take into account how they play. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I imagine it's already kind of at play. uh, But, yeah, it'll factor, but I think it'll factor in in terms of, like, removing bias and giving you another viewpoint, I guess you can say, um, that you probably should respect quite a bit, but without totally leaving behind everything else. You don't want to end up in a universe like the Dune movies. Books. Books. The Dune books. Sorry. We don't talk about the movies. Um, thoughts on Pavel Gogolev? We were asked earlier, like, sorry. Good shooter. Not sure there's much else there. Maybe an AHL guy for next year. After Askarov, who are the best goalies in the draft? Goalies, Comezzo, Blomqvist, uh, Dawes, I guess. I don't know, though. Goalies are weird, but I'm pretty sure about Askarov. Still a believer in Vojtek Strandala. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd pick him, but it's certainly worth keeping an eye on, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Anything there with Noah Ellis? Not a guy I've seen enough of, honestly. One of the guys that people talk about that I haven't seen enough of. Thoughts on uh, Philadelphia's young defensemen? Provorov, Sanheim, Myers, York, and Zamula. They're all good. I don't mind them. Uh, I really like Cam York. Didn't think that was going to be the guy that I would have picked there, but he's good. Sanheim, I've always really liked. Myers is good. Provorov is fantastic, and Zamula could be really, really good. Zamula was unbelievable at the World Juniors. Um, so the sky's the limit for, for him based on what I've seen of him so far. Um, he's a good player. But Provorov is... is very very talented i don't if i'm not mistaken last year was the one people were questioning him a little bit on and if i'm not mistaken he seems to have taken a step back to normalcy this year yeah a little bit seems to be recovering decently um i like ivan provorov quite a bit i I think he's a perfectly fine player um so yeah Uh, but but yeah uh okay last question of the night from naraj is there data saying how many nhl players come out of every draft maybe baseline of 500 games played uh i mean you can look at you can look at the elite prospects data and take a look i mean you can filter you can sort it by games played and then probably write some quick function in python to pull the list and you know analyze who's playing oh my goodness uh probably just analyze who's playing the most amount of games um it's it's possible like if we just go back to 1998 for example a notoriously deep draft with names like michael henrik martin skula so here you have oh it doesn't really give you a good count of how many players but you know you're looking at maybe 40 or 50 players who played 500 games which feels like a lot anyway yeah it's doable, but I, I don't know if there's any data off the top of my mind that does that. But you can pull it. Uh, and then last question, for real, because it's about my boy. Uh, what did you think of Fensori's freshman year at BU? Good start. Really, really good start for the kid. Uh, like him a lot. Still extremely young. I think he's the third youngest NCAA player. Um, I'm really annoyed that I didn't get the chance to pick him. If I picked him, it would have been over Nick Robertson. And I don't think... Um, and I don't think I would have passed on Nick Robertson to draft Dominic Fensori. Um, actually, I had a chance to get him. 
I had a chance to pick him up in that in that draft, but I took Kokonen because I thought there was more to Kokonen right now. Um, and Fensori, I think, has a lot of potential, but he's still got work to do. Uh, but I, you know, I really only did that because I thought Fensori would be available later and Kokonen wouldn't. Um, and lo and behold, six picks later, the friggin' Carolina Hurricanes picked him. And uh, yeah, I really thought he was going to be there at 115. And if he was there at 115... Based on who was available, he he would have been the guy. He would have been the guy. Probably would have been, you know, my first four picks of the draft if he was there. If Carolina wasn't so smart, probably would have been Robertson, Kokonen, Fensori, and Levy Altonen. Probably, um, yeah. I mean, I ended up with Altonen and Rhett Pitlick instead. Fine, um, but yeah, too bad, so sad. Snooze, you lose, as they say. Can't win them all. Anyway, I got to run, guys. Uh, this was lovely. Thank you for joining me. This was great. Uh, if you liked it, you just there's a bunch of links under me. You can find more stuff. Uh, I am going to put out some writing stuff in the next little while, explaining some methodology, do a ranking probably by the end of the month. Um, still doing some viewing to finalize some stuff and get there. Um, but yeah, that's about it for tonight. So thank you very much for joining me. This was lovely. Look out for the podcast of this tomorrow if you missed any of it. Or you could just go back and watch it on YouTube right now. Uh, so have a lovely night. And uh, stay safe. Stay home if you can. Um, and do your thing. Anyway, have a good night.